Podcast. I am your host, Casey Boucher. It is uh, Sunday, January 31st, currently sitting in my uh, upstairs bedroom, admiring the amount of snow that has already fallen uh, over here in southeastern PA. Hope everybody got their uh, necessities over the weekend from the grocery store, and you guys are all ready for uh, the amount of snow that's about to fall over the next, uh, I guess, 24 hours or so. So, uh, how's everybody doing out there? It's been a nice, uh, long week. Can officially say uh, our racing season has gotten underway, especially in Florida. In uh, my house, to, uh, Monday and Tuesday were Lucas Oil at East Bay on the television. With uh, Hudson O'Neill putting on a show, Tyler Erb putting on a show, track looked really good, really slick. Uh, for any of you who have never been to East Bay, I definitely recommend going down there at least once before they close. I had the chance to be down there a couple of years ago, and wow, 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 it is badass. Um, Wednesday, we had a, a bit of a rain out, so I got to see a little bit of Lucas Oil the uh, Short Track Super Series uh, Sunshine Swing at Ocala over at Bubba's did not get off the ground uh, due to some rain that came through. And then Thursday, we did see Short Track Super Series at Bubba's kick off with an amazing feature uh, between Stu, Stuart Friesen, and Eric Rudolph swapping back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And uh, Eric Rudolph came in on top as the winner. Was a hard-fought and well-deserved win on his end. Uh, Lucas Oil ran again as well. Another great show. Uh, they ended up running double features. They they finished out their Wednesday program. So uh, the let's just say the, the track did take a lot of rubber. The track was really slicked off. Um, <clears throat> it was, a uh, a lot of yellows to start the feature, but they did eventually get everything squared away. And, uh, the second feature, it was a fight to the finish on whose tires were going to last the longest. And, uh, the second feature was Josh Richards dominating Dominating is kind of an understatement on the fight to the finish. And the first feature, <clears throat> congrats to Stormy Scott. Uh, I think Stormy Scott was not really on anyone's radar as a top contender going into the night. And uh, he had the lead, I want to say lap seven, somewhere around there. And... That was all she wrote. Stormy Scott took the win on the first feature, and then Josh Richards uh, did win the makeup feature. Uh, on to Friday, we saw three divisions of racing down in Florida. We again had Lucas Oil at East Bay. We had the Short Track Super Series at Bubba's. And we also had the beginning of the All-Star Circuit of Champions season, although I don't believe this was a point show at Screven in Georgia. <clears throat> Donnie Schatz uh, pretty much set the pace right out the gate, and 
He was uh, pretty much the man to catch that no one could. At Screven, he took home the win uh, with the All-Stars. Lucas Oil at East Bay once again. We saw Brandon Overton take the win, uh, which I thought Brandon, uh, the whole week down there, was one of the cars that was one of the fastest, one of the guys to look for in the feature. It didn't shape out for him too well up and until Friday night, but he had a very, uh, very impressive win there Friday. And then the short track super series uh, with the modifieds over at Ocala. Uh, we had another battle uh, for the win again between Stu, Stuart Friesen, and Eric Shepard. And this time Stu got the best of, of Rudolph and Stu taking home the win. And a shout out going out to, um, as they call him, the little youngster, Tanner Van Doren who will be uh, full-time running 602 crate modifies with us at Big Diamond on Fridays. He took home the win in the 602 crate portion of the Sunshine Swing on a Friday night. And then last night, again, we had all three divisions running uh, once again. So let's start with Lucas Oil at East Bay for their finale. Uh, we had Tyler Herb, who um, if anybody watched Friday's show, Tyler Herb, was actually parked for an on-track incident with Mason Ziegler. Tyler Herb came back on Saturday and took home the big paycheck to finish out the Lucas Oil Elite Model Series at East Bay. Go over to uh, Screvin for the All-Star Circuit of Champions. And uh, I think, uh, you know, people a little up in air on his Wurzel going to be as competitive in the 83 Roth car as he was in the 87 Boffman car. Well, Wurzel took home the check last night in what I consider dominating fashion. You know, AA Ron did win, but I will say the show was definitely Kyle Reinhardt finishing third. Uh, or did he finished second. He finished second or third. Uh, he was on rails for the last few laps of that race and looked really good. But uh, congrats go out to Kyle Reinhardt and, of course, Aaron Reutzel. And then the finale for the Short Track Super Series Sunshine Swing over at Bubba's once again. And uh, the feature was very interesting. Uh, I thought the, the guys who made the redraw not necessarily were guys that looked half decent the previous nights, um, just to name a few, you know, Timmy Buckwalder made the redraw on Saturday. They must have found some some speed somewhere. Uh, according to Timmy, they were looking for speed the whole week, and they finally got some. He made the redraw. Andy Piketty, who did not look up to snuff uh, Thursday and Friday, did make the redraw again last night. And... It was, uh, Stu had to go to the, to the first Concy and made it through. So he started a little on the deep side. Mad Max, who ran good, started on the deep side. And, uh, early on, Mikey Guler ended up fighting it out with Billy Decker for the front spot. And then Stu came up through the field and Stewie was making a run. And, uh, there was an incident between Stu and Mike Guler. Um, 
you know, it's it's kind of hard to tell who's at fault here. I saw from what my replays that I was able to look at saw Stu did come down a little bit on the front stretch and looked like he jumped uh, Guler's right front wheel, which proceeded to kind of helicopter him into the outside barrier uh, by the pit gate. Did look like a pretty vicious flip and hit, and he was able to walk away from that. No, um, haven't heard anything about Stu being injured or anything like that. So, I mean, it was a very tough break, but hey, accidents happen. Sometimes shit happens, as we all know. Uh, but uh, taking home the $8,000 finale win, 50 lapper was Mikey Guler, our 2020 Big Diamond Speedway modified champion. So congrats to to Mike and Terry, his car owner, and the whole team. Thought it was a well-earned and well-deserved uh, victory for all of them. And in the sportsman division, Stephen Kemery, uh, I believe he started outside pole, pretty much dominated the whole feature for the 602 crate portion of the show. Uh, their overall winner of their championship uh, for the Modifieds, I believe, was Eric Rudolph. So congratulations to Eric and his team from Bransonville. Outstanding performance all week long. He was in contention to win uh, at least the first two nights, and I believe he was starting to come up through again last night. And I believe Stephen Kemery was the overall winner of the 602 crate division, if I'm not mistaken. So congratulations to both those guys. And uh, next week, uh, more racing kicks off. Uh, it looks like everyone's off today, Sunday, January 31st. And then tomorrow we have the All-Stars are at East Bay for two nights. And then I believe they head over to Volusia for their portion before the Outlaws come into town. Uh, modifieds, everyone's on their way home to the snow. And late models, I believe, head to... Uh, where do the late models go? I think late models go to Bubba's, actually. I think they go to Bubba's for a couple of days. And then uh, racing continues for about another two weeks, so stay tuned for another episode. We'll go over some more results from down there. And uh, that's about all I have on my end. Um, we're going to go into uh, the interview for this week's episode. As you'll hear, my guest is um, the one, the only Nicole Flood, who, um, as you'll hear the introduction, is a USAC uh, head official, head starter, chief starter. Uh, Nicole has a lot of information to offer on a lot of different topics and aspects of what it is that she does and and how she uh, got herself in that position. So... Uh, the episode went about an hour and a half, which I'm absolutely thrilled about. Uh, I was looking for around 45 minutes to an hour, and I was very thankful when I saw that we were still recording after an hour and a half. That is, a, I thought it was a, a great conversation, uh, just an all-around good listen. Nicole definitely can uh, handle an interview, and she knows how to handle herself well. So uh, sit back, enjoy the interview with uh, Nicole Flood. Thanks a lot. Hope you enjoy the show. The first guest is here for the Four Wide Salute podcast. 
She is the head flagger at the Phoenixville Quarter Midget Club. She's also the chief starter for the USAC National uh, Amsoil Sprint Card Tour on the East Coast, as well as the NOS Energy Drink National Midget Tour on the East Coast and the USAC East Coast Series. And also the chief starter for the indoor shows uh, at Trenton on the dirt and also for the TQs. Welcome, Nicole Flood, to the Four Wide Slew podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I uh, thought you had a, a very dynamic uh, thing going on here with being an official, also being a female also being on the younger side. Uh, I don't recall ever seeing a female starter anywhere else that I can recall. So I think that's a, that's a pretty big thing. And uh, I think you have a lot to offer information wise on how you got started to where you are now and, and why you do what you do. So, uh, you know, let's kick it off with the early days. Uh, what are your first memories of racing from when you were a kid? So I actually grew up, my dad, before I was born, my dad ran Indoros and with his brothers and they would always go out and do that. And so my family's always loved racing. And I remember growing up when I was around three, we would go to Grandview because it was closer. And then we'd also go to Bridgeport. Um, when we were going to Bridgeport, we went to watch Robert Towski because mm-hmm. it was my dad's friend. And then he became my dad's boss. Um, so it was back in the day, he was running the 110 Sportsman, and that's actually when I first met Kevin Herthler, too, because they would help each other. They would park right next to each other back in the day. Okay. Um, so I remember going down there with the family and going to watch Rob, and it was always a fun time just being able to go see the crew and the race cars after the races and going into the pits. As this little kid, you know, you're running up next to this big Sportsman modified, and it's like... This thing's huge. And I just watched him go out there and like throw dirt. It was it was really cool as a kid. And then getting to go as a family. It was like one of the only times that we really got to hang out with my dad because he was always working. Mm-hmm. I remember as a little kid, my dad would be at work before I would wake up and he'd come home after I was asleep. So that was one thing that I always look forward to being able to do with my dad. Um, and now still with the races he comes and watches me flag. So it's That's kind really of cool. Full how, circle. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, when you were in a Grandview and Bridgeport at such a young age, did you have any favorite drivers you took on to like any of the big modified guys or anything? Well, I kind of favored Kevin Herthler just because I knew him from that. And that then direction. from growing up there and going into the pits, I got to meet others. And then when I started racing, I was around 12 at Phoenixville and the quarter midgets. Then I got to meet when I was going into it, I kind of started later. Mm -hmm. Um, But when I got into it, Timmy Buckwalter was still racing Mm -hmm. and like that age group, which is my age group, but a little bit older, like a year or two. So they were actually getting out of it and moving into micros and stuff like that. Okay. So watching the people that I had idolized and then becoming friends with people, I kind of just started rooting for all my friends. Because right. I was like, oh, I know him. Like, go, Jimmy. Like, stuff like that. Um, go Mike Lace. Like, things like that. Because I knew them. So it, it just became more of my friends are out on the track. 
I get to watch them. And then I got to learn more and we were going every weekend. Um, so that kind of started that. And then when I started racing, it kind of turned the tables a little bit because I fully understood what it was like now. I had that adrenaline rush. I fell in love with it. And it was like everything that I grew up wanting to do, I was then doing. Yeah, I think I think being in the in the pits is a huge part of that. Um, you know, I can recall when I first started working at Diamond, you know, this was a new dynamic now as an adult. And you get around these guys, you get to hear, you know, their pain points and their successes. And you see all the interaction they have with their crews or their families. And then you're around it all the time. And you start to, you start to kind of uh, build that same type of adrenaline, even in the, in the flag stand mm-hmm. or even in, uh, working in a turn official, you, you develop that, that kind of adrenaline feel because you know what they're going through. So you yep. kind of want to get into that same mindset. I absolutely agree to that. So, uh, so you started racing at age 12. How did that come about? So my dad was talking to one of his buddies and he was like, oh yeah, I'm going to this meeting tonight for my son's racetrack. And my dad was like, oh, what, like, what do you, what do you mean? And he was like, oh, it's called a quarter midget. He was like, I've never heard of a quarter midget. Like, is it like a go-kart? And he was like, kind of, but different, like roll cage, seatbelts, whole shebang. Like it's a different beast Mm -hmm. compared to a go-kart. And he was like, oh, do you mind if I tag along? So my dad went to the meeting with uh, John Ruckle and, you know, he was like, oh, he joined that night. And he was like, hey, um, when he got home, he was like, hey, Nicole, do you do you uh, do you want to drive a race car? Like he had already joined the club <laughs> before he even asked if I wanted to race. And I was like, um, like, like a race, like a real race car. And he was like, yeah, I was like, yes. <laughs> so that's kind of how that started. So now <clears throat> so now you kind of kind of got thrown into it if you would if you want to say that so now it's going through your mind now is it a holy shit i'm gonna drive a race car panic type thing or are you absolutely stoked ready to you know tear down your car build it back up kind of thing so i actually didn't help my dad with the car um i was involved in other things with school like band and chorus and stuff like that i did that all through senior year of high school um, so when I was in quarter midgets, it was, it was a good family thing. Like my dad taught me how to change the oil and stuff like that. And I could do the air pressure and stuff like that. But he kind of took on that full role because I would be coming from practice right to school and be like jumping in the car to go out for warm ups or something. Like right. I wasn't really there all the time, but I would have to wash the car and stuff at home. So it, it was a good, um, way to build our bond again around something that we loved and Mm -hmm. then it also was like another not so much chore but it was something for me to do to help with the car and learn how to take it apart and put it back together with the sheet metal and stuff so I was doing that and then at the track I would have to wash the tires and this and that and we were able to communicate about the car when my dad and I have a great relationship, but it's kind of awkward at times because it's like, hey, how are you? Good. Okay. Like, we don't know what to talk about all the time. Right. So it was something to talk about, and it really brought our relationship together. Yeah. Which I really appreciate. Um, and that's one of the things that I love about quarter midgets. It's a family 
sport. You're right. And I, I've noticed that. Together. Um, yeah, you'll, so. you'll see whole families, grandmas, uh, grandparents will all be there. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a big family thing. And I've noticed too with, um, you know, getting to know the Watts really well. Uh, I've seen video numerous times of where, you know, some kid gets into a wreck or something breaks and you see, you know, Ryan Watts coming over with whatever tools he mm-hmm. needs. Other guys are coming over. It's it's like everyone's helping everyone kind of situation, yep. which is, is very cool. And you just don't see it every day across other divisions. Now, I will say, you know, watching spring car races in particular, a lot of times you'll see where, you know, a guy wrecked and a guy from another team is helping change a tire or bringing tools over or what have you. So it is still out there. It's not as common, mm-hmm. but I think when you're around a quarter midget track, you see it a lot more. It's almost like a regularity. Yeah, it definitely is. It's a, it's a big racing family. So I have, I call them my kids. I call them all my kids because I have that relationship <laughs> with them of helping them mm-hmm. learn how to drive and stuff from rookie year through their graduation. I call them all my kids, even the older kids now that are in micros and now some of them like Kenny Miller is mm-hmm. in a sprint car and Joey Mantia, like they're my kids from quarter midgets. Like they raced my sister. So it's like, Oh, I, I can't look at you that way anymore. Like you're, I do, but I don't. So it's like watching them grow and become the racers that they are is like kind of like a proud parent moment, even though they're not mine. Right. Because I get to I get to be proud for them from watching them start. Um, Absolutely. And that's just kind of like the racing family that there is. Yeah. And it grows. So. Yeah, absolutely. But you said you um you were still in like doing band and chorus mm-hmm. in high school when you were racing quarter midgets. So it's, it's not something you normally hear of someone in band racing cars on the weekend or weeknights. How did your fellow bandmates or people in chorus kind of take to, hey, after this, uh, she's putting a racing helmet on and going to go run some laps. Were they interested? Did they find that cool? Were they kind of like, ah, you're strange or what? <laughs> uh, some, it was kind of hit or miss. It's kind of like the same as when you tell somebody you were in band. It's like, oh, you were a band geek. Like, oh, you're the racer chick. Like, But my school was actually, there were a couple other drivers. So Josh Parsons was... Uh, a couple grades ahead of me, he raced quarter midgets. Eric Fellini was racing. Um, and then Shayna Texter okay. is a sh- uh, circle track dirt bike racer. Mm-hmm. And we were in the same grade. Okay. So we actually went all the way from kindergarten through senior year together. So th- it was nice knowing that there was somebody else that kind of knew right. what was going on, even though she was a different aspect of racing. But like, I still love watching her succeed with everything she's doing. Oh, absolutely. You, you, you know, somebody you grew up with, you can't help but, but wish for success, mm-hmm. you know, unless they were in our tribal of some sort. But um, just to appear at school, yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, it, it, I look at it this way. I don't have anyone from my high school that achieved super high success that I can recall in another industry or sport. But I do live close enough to Wilson that, you know, Chad Henney just got to play in the AFC Championship game. Even though I did not go to Wilson, I can't still help but, you know, give him an attaboy because mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. So, you know, it, it's it's along those kinds of lines. Um, 
so now you, you were in the band and chorus to you know through high school after high school what do you move on to so are you still racing quarter midgets after high school no so the age limit for now when i raced at phoenixville it was before they were usac they were still qma so you could race a half class which is one of the motors that they had till you were 18 okay now with usac it's they have different names for their motors for a lot of them but they're starting to bring back like the old style motors um but like now you can race till you're 17. Okay. So I graduated high school at 18. So I actually was able to race into my senior year. Right. And then I graduated and then I graduated high school. Um, after high school, I we had talked about getting a race car and it wasn't feasible at that point because, you know, we had that talk of race car or college. <laughs> and um, I actually chose race car. Because I wanted to race and I lost that battle. And I went to college for four years and got my bachelor's degree. Um, <laughs> you were in a lose-lose situation. <laughs> yeah. So I did end up being able to run a slingshot for a little bit. That was fun. You know, it's... You get to watch them and you're like, eh. But once you get in one, if you get to go race one at least once, they're a lot of fun to be in. They really are. Go, go into a local place at the shore... Um, and happen in a go-kart when you're in line, you're like, Oh my God, these things are so slow <laughs> though. It just looks like glorified Mario Kart. Yep. But then you get one in one and you're like for the floor, let's go. Let's, you feel like you're I flying. Wanna, I want to drift <laughs> through the turn. I want to see if I can hit somebody. It's like me, you know, me and my buddy have this, this thing is those brain buckets. They call helmets. <laughs> Everyone puts them on and it's instant idiot. Yep. And it's, compresses your brain and now let's see all the dumb things we can do before we take this helmet back off yep. but uh <clears throat> so so you went to college at that point right yes so where'd you go to college i went to penn state abington oh, okay so i was still close i was it's a like a 40 minute commute via turnpike so i okay. was still coming home here and there um i was actually teaching the high school band and color guard nice um, so I was actually driving home Monday, Thursday, and then Saturdays for that. And then I was driving home on Wednesdays cause I was still pit stewarding at Phoenixville, checking oh, the belts so, and stuff. So now at that point you're working at Phoenixville. Mm -hmm. Ah, okay. Okay. So when did you start at Phoenixville officially? Like right after you couldn't race any anymore? So I actually kind of transitioned a little bit early year than that um i was like 17 when i started helping pit stewart i wasn't head pit stewart at that point i was just kind of helping check because everyone it's all volunteers there so they would call for a volunteer and you know my sister was so um she's eight years younger than me so she was still racing so okay. when i started when i was 12 the next year she started at five ah okay so, that's a big difference so we were still going. So I was like, all right, well, I'm here. I'm going to help. So I actually started the pit stewarding. And then I was like 19 and I became, my mom was head pit steward. And then I took it over and okay. my mom started helping in other areas. Um, like helping Michelle Pinder with the t-shirts and 50-50. Like she was running around doing everything with Michelle. Um, 
So it's all volunteer down there. Yes. So anyone can offer their services to help. If you're you become a member or a uh, I just blanked on it. You become a member and okay. then it's like a handler or an assistant handler. And okay. So just just another way that people can get involved and interact mm-hmm. if you're not, you know, if you're well above age, can't drive, you know, and you're not inclined with other areas. If you absolutely mm-hmm. wanted to go and volunteer, there are ways to do it. You absolutely. just have to go about a process. No, that's good. And that's at any of the quarter midget tracks. Phoenixville, um, Blue Keystone, Mountain. Blue Mountain, oh, okay. Blackbird, West End, BAPS, like... We're all, Hagerstown, we're all volunteer. So okay. if you wanted to, you could always go and help. Well, for, for my listeners, there you go. If any of you uh, parents, siblings, uh, you know, friends, whatever, if you guys want to get involved in volunteering at um, any of these quarter midget tracks in the area, there's your opportunity. Um, you heard it straight from the... Uh, head flagger at phoenixville there is a way to do it um just see your local track where you want to go volunteer at and they'll guide you on the right path to do so and Mm -hmm. i'm sure it's appreciated by everybody involved uh i did want to go back to something you had said a few minutes ago about you went back to teach band and color guard yes in high school so were you creating the choreographing by chance for performances on the field i was helping with it yes ah i think there's an area here that you and i have in common (laughs) that don't know that we knew we had in common so did i see that your sister marched with the caballeros yes ah i am third generation running buccaneer oh Oh. (laughs) yes folks we are now (laughs) diverting this conversation (laughs) away from racing and into the world of german bugle corps if you're not familiar with German Bugle Corps, it is a professional marching band, as I like to call it. Yep. And holy hell, do are we talking about athletes? Yes. The highest level junior corps out there that run nationally for championships uh, are some of the most incredible athletes that do not get the attention they deserve. I never competed because I can't walk a straight line to save my life. There's police officers that might be able to contest to that, but um, <laughs> just kidding. But uh, no, that's pretty cool. That that is very cool. That um, I think Kenny Bach actually, who races a sportsman at Grandview, hmm. uh, he he randomly posts some stuff on on Facebook for DCI. Hmm. So I think he may have also he's he has the fit. He's built yeah like uh like he could have been a trumpet trumpet line like I played trumpet. He has that yeah that build are you saying we're all like built the same uh, well, like if we you've all ever the same been, <laughs> you would know if you go to a professional drum corps show and you see a line for the most part with the exception of height they're all built the same they're yeah. very slender toned um pure muscle yeah and then of course you go back to where your bass drum guys are that are carrying the bases or the quads and they're a little bit bigger a little bit taller a little bit more muscular because mm-hmm. you gotta huff those things around but yeah, I'm saying there's kind of a stigma. It's yeah. like your center, you know, your center in basketball is usually a lot taller than the rest of the guys. So yeah, that's what I'm that's what I'm kind of saying there. Yeah. But no, it's pretty cool. There's all these different dynamics that you know. Here we are in the racing world, mm-hmm. and you now find out that oh my god, there's always other people that 
have a connection to a, something you used to be involved in or, or at least actively still check in on or watch nowadays is, Another is, is, passion. Actually, is actually really cool. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So let's go from, you went back, you're, you're going to go to college now. Yes. Um, how'd that go? What'd you go for? I have a degree in psychological and social sciences. So I was planning on going to be a school guidance counselor. Okay. And I had everything set up. And then my senior year, Pennsylvania changed the requirements to do it. And I would have to go for more schooling and different certificates. And it just kind of wasn't in the picture Mm -hmm. for me. So I graduated with my Bachelor of Arts and I went into childcare, which is what I I wanted to work with kids anyway. And I went in, um, I was able to start working at daycare and I was there for a couple years and, but it was down in Southampton. So with not being in school and driving 40 minutes to work every day via turnpike, both directions in, in rush hour, you know, the sob story of that, it was never fun. And it got to the point where working at a daycare, you don't fully make that much money. So I was yeah, spending I more in gas and maintenance to my car than I was making. So it just wasn't feasible. So I actually became a nanny after that. And I was closer to home and I absolutely loved it because I got to work with kids and still do what I wanted to do and still help out. And it was, it was a fun time. And there, and there with going from working in childcare where I would say you're dealing with multiple families all at one time, moving into a nanny role where you're centralized around one set of kids or Mm -hmm. one family of kids. I would think there's advantages to that being that you can connect with them a lot more on a individual basis. Absolutely. As opposed to, because how many kids were there? Two, three? I had two. You had two. Where I'm guessing it, uh, the other place you would have ended up with six to 12, I it would guess. It depended on the age group, yeah. Right. And yeah, I and then you're dealing with them in their home too. Yep. In their environment, I think that's a huge plus. So as, as funny as a, a nanny might sound, it sounded like that was the right answer at the time. Yes. So I was able to help them grow and develop. And I was actually able to connect with the teachers and help with their learning experience at home too. Like we were able to bring the classroom back to the house to Mm -hmm. help grow and develop. So they were actually advanced for where they were supposed to be for their age group. So, so I would, I wouldn't even consider that to be a nanny. It would almost sound like a private guidance counselor. Kind of. Right? Because yeah. you're not, I picture a nanny as one who cleans, cooks, and makes sure your kids have a bath by eight. What you're talking about sounds way more advanced and directed around the education process of things or the development. I did all that other stuff too, but I was solely so, focused on So the you kids, went so. in a little extra length. That's really cool. And I hope there's people that are still out there that do that. Because there's always going to be someone who could uh, use an extra hand or use an extra couple of hands. So, mm-hmm. no, that's really cool. So, uh, so at what point, I mean, so now you're a nanny at this time. Are you still volunteering mm-hmm. at Phoenixville? Yes. Okay. So now I take it the the nanny thing doesn't last forever. Um, when do you transition 
and say, oh, this isn't going to cut it. I really want to go back into a better role at, with the racetrack. I know that's not my full-time job, but almost like a priority change as far as what you want your life to now become. Because at this age, you're what? At that time, when you, you, know, when you quit, the, uh, the, when you, you ended the nanny thing, you were what? 26-ish. So you, yeah, so you have a lot left mm -hmm. to do, and you're still early enough that you're not pigeonholed and you're too old for whatever it is you want to do with the rest of your life. So how does it work with Phoenixville with going from being a volunteer pit steward to becoming the head flagger? So it's a funny story for that because I actually didn't start flagging at Phoenixville. I started flagging at Blackbird. So where's Blackbird? Delaware. Okay. It's right in Newcastle. Okay. Uh, right at airport. Same property. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, it's just in the back pits. Mm -hmm. Um, so we were actually at Blackbird for, we became members there because my sister liked racing there as well. So we were at Phoenixville and Blackbird and something happened during, in the middle of a race and the flagman walked off <clears throat> and left. He was like, something happened. There was an argument, a disagreement, something. I don't, I don't know. I've seen that happen at more than one track in the last two years. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like in the middle of a, of a feature and he, something happened and he just left. And I was like, we were all just like, um, okay. And they called over the radio. They were like, can we have a volunteer flagger, please? And nobody moved. Like nobody. And I, I was it, like, I think it's a fear thing at that time. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> it was like, oh, well, I mean, I can give it a try. Um, I can try it. So I went over and, um, Samantha Ray was on the, in the tower. She was running the tower at that time. And, uh, she, she was like, hi. I was like, Hey, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> like I kind of do, but I don't. And she was like, I'll help you. So she, and her dad flags at Lanco. Oh, okay. Okay. So she knew how to flag. She's flagged. And I've, I've watched her flag many times. And so I was comfortable and felt safe because she was teaching me how to do it through the headset. Right. Um, but from racing, I had an idea. I was just like, when do I give, when do I throw which flag? Like yeah. I, I got it. I know which ones to do in the order. I just don't know when to do it. Yep. Um, so she helped me. And after the second feature, I, I had it down and that that's when it started. And I was still pit stewarding at Phoenixville. We had a flagger then. And then, so we were at Phoenixville on Wednesdays and we were at Blackbird on Sundays. So I was pit stewarding at Phoenixville and then I was learning different things at Blackbird. Right. And then I eventually went to the tower. Okay. Because they had their uh, flagmen step up and they were able to have them full time. Is it working in the tower great? It has its moments. I enjoy. I don't have to deal with dirt at <laughs> all on a Friday night. <laughs> And I, I get all my on on track guys so upset because I wear shorts <laughs> and they have to wear those thick white pants. And I do miss being down there on the track when they're packing it and I get to stand right in the middle of them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, your your buddies are swerving at you and trying <laughs> to roost retail you and all that. I miss that aspect, but... Uh, 
I love being in the booth. I'm an analytical type person, so yeah. I think that's where I belong. But, so uh, I, but go yeah. ahead. I learned how to score, and I mean, everybody's like, oh, why Why do we pay all this money to put numbers on the car, and then we cover them up with paper numbers now? And that's a big question that others have brought up. I didn't, yeah. I didn't learn that answer till Motorama last year. <laughs> yeah. And when you're watching it, that then you and you hear why you're like, oh, I totally get it now because you're trying to watch all these cars cross, and instead of writing like my number was 100, and say you're at Blue Mountain because I I also helped Blue Mountain the one night they they needed help up in the tower and they didn't do paper numbers. Oh my gosh, my mind was blown. It was a 12 car heavy world formula race, and I was like, I don't know what number to write. <laughs> like it's so hard. So if you put on the paper numbers for one through zero, you can score it better and it's more accurate of scoring. It's easier to read, too. And it's completely easier to read. It helps the kids, actually, when they're lining up because they're like, oh, I'm three. Okay. They're saying three, switch with two. Okay, I need to switch with them. So for right. that aspect, it's easier than saying like your their actual car number because some of them don't know. Especially right. with a five-year-old. You're trying to tell a five-year-old, three, switch with two. And they're like, huh? And, you know, if you ever see me out there with the, the rookies, you, you're like, oh, gosh, she's brave. But, like, you got to kind of dance to get their attention. Because wherever a child's eyes are looking is where their car is going. Yes. So if they're looking at you, they're coming at you. <laughs> it, it makes a lot more sense if you think of it as into... What age bracket are you dealing with? Mm -hmm. And how familiar are they with racing to begin with? Or, I mean, because everyone starts somewhere with their knowledge. Five-year-olds aren't coming in well-educated in how things work. Some, they can't even sign their names yet. They have to... Exactly. <laughs> so. Some might. Some might have a parent who runs, you know, a sprint car who might mm -hmm. get more than the next guy. But you, you kind of have to to save your own soul break it down in the simplest way and because you're still teaching them yep. things at the same time it that makes so much more sense once i figured that out i was like why do they all these these nice rap jobs mm -hmm. oh cool number it matches your dad's slap a two on it and like why do you do that yeah. well and it wasn't until the chili bowl this year ah uh, i forget who it was i want to say it was i want to say it was mike hess he came out for his heat and I forget the number on the card, but I think he had an N as the Oh, number. all the twos? It was like, like a 2R, 2Q, 2N? No, oh. his, his was like a 30, 37M oh, or something okay. like that. And a car looked great, black, neon green. They had like a fluorescent pink N slapped on the car. <laughs> and I said, with my, you know, with my wife, I said, I bet you it's because they can't see the wrap job N from the scoring tower or there's another car out there with that same number and that's how they know to distinguish mm -hmm. it because some guys have very tiny yep. tiny letters we were watching um the short track super series on thursday mm -hmm. sportsman guy his car number is 66 n you look at the car it says six n and i'm thinking why are we calling him 66 n and you know, we tried to wait for them to zoom on his car. 6N, 6N, 6N. It wasn't until he got stopped on the front stretch and they zoomed in 
right next to the six, it said S I X E Y. Real slim. And I was like, oh, well, that explains a lot. Yeah. But to a normal fan who's trying to figure something out or they're reading a program or they're writing down lineups and they're going 66. This 66 guy ain't even out here. Yeah. <clears throat> even in the tower when you're trying to read the transponders. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. So, 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 so all of my, all my listeners, this is one of the obstacles that we deal with on a weekly basis. No matter what position you're, you're in at the track, you will deal with this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Same thing with guys that bring out backup cars with someone else in them. And the only difference in the car is one frame is white and the other one's orange, which we've had happen. It can be tricky. It can mm-hmm. be, you have to be very cognizant of what is going on, even in the pits prior to the cars at the track. Yeah. But no, that's, um, that's very interesting. So, I mean, you were mentioning the rookie, the rookies down there at Phoenix Hill. Are you more of, would you say, in a educator role than you are a head flagger per se? Definitely. So, so what all, so, okay, so let's say I have a five-year-old who wants to come race, mm-hmm. never seen a racetrack in my life. What process do they go through at that point? So for our track, I can't, I, I'm not a rookie director or helper at any of the other tracks. Yeah, we all track. kind of have the same schooling, but it's called rookie school. Mm-hmm. It's before the season starts. Okay. We actually start in classroom first, which for, I don't know how this year is going to go for 2021. Right. But for previous years at the club meeting, like we at rookie school, we split it up. So the parents stay with the rookie director and the board and they're in the other room. All the parents are in the other room talking and I take all the kids with me. And I have a, I have um, some elder drivers that come out and help me because you're hurting a bunch of five-year-olds into one area (laughs) and trying to keep their focus. And now granted we do have older kids, so it is helpful when they're there. Um, But we start off with a classroom setting AKA the kids sitting on the floor in front of me and I go over the colors of the flags and I try to do it as like silly or fun as I can to try and keep in their attention, keep their attention and get them to interact. And sometimes you only have one kid who knows what they are because their dad races or their uncle races right. and the others all look at you like a deer in headlights and they're like, uh, that's a green, it's green. <laughs> so it it's that joke of, yeah. And green means go. And then they're like, yeah, go. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) And yellow, yellow means slow down, slow down. And then I teach my hand signals that I do. So it's kind of like a kindergarten teacher trying to get their class to quiet down. You're doing it in a theatrical way that's amusing to them, which is, it makes absolute sense. And then we focus on red as well. Like stop, like you need to stop. You hit the brake or you hit the turn off button. And (laughs) So it's getting them to interact with me as much as possible to make it fun. And then I switch it into another fun aspect. I'm like, now, when you're in the car with mommy and daddy and the yellow light comes on, don't tell them to stop. (laughs) Like, I tried, (laughs) like, it's trying to turn that because you get the kids in the back. It's like, it's a yellow light, slow down. (laughs) Or green means go, mom. Green means go. I've had a couple parents. They're like, my kid tells me to go. I'm like, sorry. 
Just be glad those kids aren't going through NHRA school to where you're going off with a Christmas tree. Yeah. Green means let the floor out. <laughs> that could get interesting. Yeah. So it's it's just another aspect of teaching. Right. Right. And it's and you don't know what level of education you're getting when they come mm-hmm. in. You really don't. It and could, for like, when you're a kid, like back when Linda's was still running, they were an outlaw track is what we call them. They didn't. They're they a little tiny sick. track in yeah. the inside. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They little were windows or whatever. Yes. They were an outlaw track. So they had their own rules. They didn't follow like you. They started to adopt USAC when we had it, but they had their own set of rules. Okay. Um. So if you ran, I'll take Steven, for example. Steven started at Norlebco, which was Little Linda's. When I'm talking he, about Stephen Jarecki here. Yes, Stephen Jarecki. When he came to Phoenixville, he had to run rookie school because even though they he raced the there, rules. he we had to make sure that he knew how to handle the car. Mm-hmm. So no okay. matter what you race, if you come into quarter midgets, you still have to start in rookie school. Right. You right. can be 14 years old. We've had 14 years old, 14 year olds start. You go through rookie school. Now you might not be in there as long as a five year old. Right. But you have to start there so that we can see what you know to see if you're able to move up. Right. Um, so Stephen Drubicki was just an example because that was what he did. Um, where I started at Phoenixville, so that was my first time, and I was in rookies till the class moved up because I was brand new. Right. Um, if you run go-karts and you come over, you would still have to do a little bit of rookie school before you go race with everybody else um Mm -hmm. so again it's just like kind of like a little test but um after the classroom we go to the track and it's no power so the cars the motors don't start and it's (laughs) the parents get their exercise because they push the car around the track we have a little line that we put on the track to show them where they should run so like on the straightaways up towards the wall, in the corners, down at the bottom, towards the guardrail. Like, you follow that line. We walk the track, we run the track. Well, I make them run the track, I don't run the track. Right. (laughs) Um, And then we push the cars around. And then once we do that and they're comfortable with it in full gear. Okay. Because a lot of kids freak out when they put their helmets on. Oh, I imagine so. Um, I I think, if not mistaken, um, Leslie Walk just put up a thing about uh, Logan was not a fan of his helmet mm-hmm. at first because it squished his cheeks so bad. Mm-hmm. But it it's constricting. It's meant to protect yep. you, so it's not loose. Correct. It it's, is very tight. It's tighter than a baseball helmet. My mom. So we used to have handlers handler races, and we started doing it again. But my mom tried to do it, and my mom's claustrophobic. Okay. And she was fine in the car. She was fine being buckled in. And as soon as she put the helmet on, she was like, "Nope, I'm done. You can't do it." Like she couldn't go because the helmet just all the pressure and the force from it just set her off. And she was like, nope, done. Like, I, I fully respect, like, everybody out there. I can't do it. I avoided going to Slick Willies for the for the longest time because I knew you had to put a helmet on. And I'm, I am, I I am, I can be really claustrophobic <clears throat> depending on the situation. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with a race car. I've never gotten into it. I've gotten into uh, a speedster. I sat in for a minute for a picture and I got back out. But I was confined through the containment mm-hmm. seat, have the rib pieces, and yep. I'd like weasel my way in the seat because you know I'm a little bit bigger than that guy. But but then 
I've never been in a race car because I feel like I'm always going to be claustrophobic. Well, we'll find out come April when I go down to Bridgeport and hop in one of Kenny Wallace's Sturdy Experience Modifieds. And this is either going to be the make or break me moment because <laughs> I'm either going to love it and want to do it every weekend. Yeah. Or I'm going to get out of that thing, kiss the ground and be thankful I have my head attached. <laughs> so uh, it, it's, it's going to be very interesting to say the least. Well, but yeah, like kids, a- kids in general... You honestly, with anything, it could be, you could be handing them a cone of ice cream. If they've never had it, it's a 50-50 chance that mm-hmm. they're going to hate that thing forever or they're going to want it every day. Yep. You just don't know because they don't know what they like. Yep. They don't know what they don't like for the most part. So it's a it's a crapshoot. I, I can't imagine. It's got to be a workout for you mentally and, you know, dealing with... All the unknowns. Yep. They can't fill out a resume and tell you their past history experience. Yep. They can't. It's all brand new. So, um, so when when did Phoenixville go USAC? Oi. Um we've been USAC for a while now. I don't even remember when Hannah was still racing, so Maybe like five, eight, ten years ago. Four, 2014, 2015? Okay. Maybe yeah, it's about eight years or so. Yeah. Okay. So it, now, when they go USAC, is is that the turning point for how you end up with USAC with bigger cars? So Warren and I actually met. Did you refer to Warren Alston? Warren Alston. Um, I was flagging at Phoenixville at this point, and that's when the... Area Auto race indoor races had the indoor race at Trenton for the quarter midgets. Okay, I remember that. Back back in the day when they first yeah. started at Trenton. Yeah. And Warren asked me if I would come flag for them because I knew how to officiate for the, the kids. Okay. And that's how Warren and I started Okay. flagging together. Now, at that point, Warren was... He was just the head flagger yes. or, or chief... Starter yep, he was for chief USAC. starter for USAC for um he flagged at wall he did That's corner he did flag wall. At wall. yeah he was all over he's okay. been he's been flagging for since he was so a he kid. was well known at the time yes. across different variations okay yes. um so he brought me in to do Trenton and we worked very well together on the stand mm-hmm. and that's how our duo blossomed. Like Which, that's how we became. And you'll could you'll be able to to back me up on this. Being able to find someone that you work absolutely flawlessly well with in the flag stand is a huge benefit because mm-hmm. you need to have someone that has your back on your blind spots and vice versa, and that you almost don't need to verbally communicate with. Yeah, we don't talk. At all. Exactly. But you know, mm-hmm. you know what we know kind of thing. Yep. See, and I, I had that when I moved up in the flag stand for my one year I was in there. I was with, I was with Merck, my, you know, my, my mm-hmm. best friend. And it was good because we, we, we worked out that, that rhythm thing really quickly. And then I wanted to go up and, and I wanted to work in this hour. Well, it was kind of like, well, there goes that kind of thing. And I said, actually, you know what? I said... I think a better relationship is the person that's up in the booth that you need to communicate with to know if lineups are good, to know if 
whatever the case mm-hmm. may be. And I also know your mannerisms in the flag stand. I can tell if a, if a start is going to get called back before you hit those lights because I can just tell by the flick of your head. Mm-hmm. I know. I also can tell if you're getting ready to throw a yellow. I can see, you know, you're setting up. Like, and I said, that is really valuable. Yes. I don't think a lot of tracks have that kind of knowing what the other one's thinking kind of thing. And and it's a huge benefit now. It's been this week, third year, it's been that way. But at first it was, oh, well, my partner in crime and the flag stand just went away. And But no, to your point, what, and I've watched you guys mm-hmm. all over. And I got to say, it it looks like you guys don't even talk to each other. And you probably don't. But you get the job done really well. I can't recall bad calls or debates about a call. I can't think of any. So, yeah, you two definitely have a chemistry that's good. And it's good to stick by, too. So so he recruits you to go work that indoor race. You guys click. Then where does it go? And that's where it all started. So, so, at, that, so at that point... Um, he says, hey, you should come help do the USAC stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So now at that point, do you have to actually put an application in? Do you have to get some kind of training? Because it, this is USAC we're talking yeah. about here. Well, there was no training because everybody has their own style of flagging. Right. So you all have, like, we all have our own style. We all, all have our own just, like, depending on who your idol was watching when you were flagging. So, like, you got... Farney, who is amazing, and he has his own style. You have Warren, who has his own style. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it all depends on really who you're around right. to watch. Mm-hmm. So there are some flagmen that are very, very, very animated, and then yes. others that are not. Like NASCAR, you're not animated at all. No, you're you're standing there up now, in the stand. Now they give full face helmets. They're no longer animated. They are astronauts. That is a debate. <laughs> going on with all all dirt racing too um and there uh-huh. there's pros and cons to it and i have my pros and cons to it and we're talking about wearing helmets wearing a helmet yes um i i, I think for being in the flag sand i think the of course the benefit is if something never flies up yes the tire pops up i, I mean i saw kobolars land a tire on top of the cage at diamond uh i we have all seen a video of Kevin Beach uh, in the air trying to take uh, out Merck. Timmy, Timmy Buckwater <laughs> tried to kiss Warren and I at Grandview. That was one of the worst wingless crashes I've ever seen. I was actually, Same. I was shaking it was that bad. I thought that was going to be a lot worse than it was. Um, I, I can attest, like, I saw him coming. Well, I did not see him coming. I saw him coming from four. My, my back is to four. So when right. we're on the stand for that, Warren was head flagger. So he's facing three and four. I'm facing one and two. Yep. Now, Warren and I, now a lot of people don't ever think about this, but when Warren and I get onto a stand, one of the very first things we do, we have an escape plan. Absolutely. And nobody really thinks about that unless you have to do it. Yep. Um, but like when Timmy hit, and I, my eyes were shut. I wasn't looking. Warren, I felt Warren. And Warren protected me 
because right. he saw it coming. He knew it was coming. He guarded me. Like, he protected me. My eyes were shut, and I just felt boom from Timmy hitting the flag stand. And I, I, you know, instantly I'm like, F, like, we're, mm-hmm. are, are we okay? Like, is Timmy okay? Like, well, I didn't even know it was Timmy. I was like, is the driver okay? Because I knew it was a car. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, am I okay? I'm okay. Is Warren okay? Warren's okay. Is the driver? Holy crap, that car is destroyed. Like, that, for those, for all those within you, like 10 seconds. That's like a, a millisecond of a thought. For those of you listening, we're referring to the Eastern Storm uh, USAC race at Grandview in 2019. Yes. Uh, our friend Timmy Buckwaller took a nasty header, hit the wall coming out of turn four, and did a nice set of flips. Uh, the gymnast, their uh, scores would have gave him a nice 9.9 or 10 for those. That would have been It 10. was a uh, holy hell. Yeah. The engine shifted <laughs> that's how yeah that was like the only thing still left in the car somehow it, it was very erratic so if you guys want to uh go out to your video source and try and pull that up you can rewatch that like what we're talking about he gets really uh really close to the people in the flag stand that time so but uh to the other point of wearing a helmet the flag stand mm-hmm. i think is you're gonna lose a lot of your peripheral and that that's my worry like i've worn a helmet i know what you can see and what you have to do to be able to see Mm -hmm. and that is restricting when you're trying to watch the entire track at the same time right which you physically cannot do all the time but that's why when you're on the flag stand we say head on a swivel because you're literally like if you had a gopro on your head like there are some flagmen that have had a gopro on their head yes you get dizzy from it because their head is like yep eh, eh, back down up left right left right down up. oh it's all over the place and you're like what are they oh it's it's what your eyes do Mm -hmm. your eyes can get real tricky yes but um yeah i don't i can see them coming especially for the bigger series you know your role racing group stuff i can see that coming Mm -hmm. usac i can see it coming they have them at knoxville full-time do they now? I think, where the heck was it? I watched them. They had Eldora, I think they had. Mm-hmm. But I think Tom Hansen wears one, and he's the f- official USAC flagman for National out there. That might be who it he was. He wears one. It was either that or, uh, well, it would have been a NASCAR guy at Eldora for the truck race. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. And I can't imagine, you know, we're in summertime, and it's 90 degrees outside. I don't I don't want to wear pants in the flag stand. I'd rather wear shorts. And now you got to strap a helmet to your head. Oh. But hey, you know what? It, racing world is just like any other industry. It's yep. ever changing, ever evolving. It's about adapting. And, and safety. And safety. And just moving it forward in a positive direction. You can't always fight the system on everything. And this is just for protection for the officials. I mean, you were talking about your escape plan. Yep. My first night on the track, I'm in turn four at Diamond. I'm I'm loving this. Like, holy shit. Oh, here goes guys I watched 25 years ago <laughs> driving right past yep. me. And we had the Roadrunners there that night. And uh, my spacing is right behind a set of Uke tires. And I'm just thinking to myself, can a car hit me where I'm standing? Yep. I mean, didn't have to go in like a roundabout way to actually like go around the U tire. But from the from the track, can they actually hit me? Well, 
No lie. Feature time rolls around. Here comes a guy sideways, sliding right into my Ute tire. Mm. I'm wide-eyed, see a ghost, <laughs> standing up going, holy shit, mm -hmm. where do I go? And I'm thinking, if he hits this thing, he's going to flip over this. Where do I go? I drop down. Why do I drop down? Because unless he's going to hit enough to get up in the air... To clear that U tire and then to drop on me is not going to happen. He's going to hit me and go directly over me if I drop down. But it was just, it was odd how I had just thought of that and oh, someone's going to test it. my theory. <laughs> First night in, welcome to the game. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, um, so let, let's move forward to, um, you know, so now you're actively working with USAC as you have, how many years has it been now that you've been actively doing? The big cars. I want to say six. I think this coming year is going to be six. I mean, the first time I saw you flagging was Grandview, Eastern Storm, 2016, because Clawson won that night and two months later, he unfortunately passed on. I was at. Yeah, that was I the was, first. Yeah. That was the first time I saw you flag. And I remember it too, because I had at that point, that was my first USAC race. I hadn't been to one ever. I had no idea what it was going into. I had already been flagging, though, before that. So Yeah. And everyone says, yeah, this is the group that has the like that hot flagger chick. And I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> and I walk okay. in, and there's Nicole on the flex. And I'm like, holy shit, they do have a female flyer. Like, that is badass. I'm like, this chick must be, like, really good. You're good. You're with a national series. And, like... <laughs> No offense, you're kind of in a man's world. Yep. Like, there's not a lot of female flaggers. And I'm like, well, holy hell, ain't that <laughs> right? And, uh, yeah, it, it it caught me off guard to no end. I'm like, this is crazy. This is This doesn't happen. Like, And I hope that people seeing you and the kids see you at Phoenixville, that they all understand that there is an other path in racing that don't necessarily mean you have to strap into a car mm -hmm. and go out there with no fear and adrenaline and there are other paths to take well since since i started flagging with usac and it being televised oh yeah i have now seen many females able to step up and do things in the racing world. I mean, you have the um, journalists, so you have yep. Georgia Henneberry, yep. you have yep. Christy Bemis, like they're announcing, they're doing fantastic. You have, um, who's a chick with the all-stars. Oh, now. I just forgot her name. Yeah. She, uh, Hanley. Yes. So like you have these females that are able mm -hmm. to take their journalism and now come into something that they love that, many people didn't do before and it's great seeing them. it is awesome i mean we're all and we're always going to have the female drivers mm -hmm. i think that's a i think that's a dynamic that's never going to change i don't know that it increases by 50 percent at any point because you gotta have the right kind of dna to want to yeah get into <laughs> a car that can do you damage um but i think that's always going to be a part too especially especially with the youth movement now yes it is gone to, and I'm I'm looking f at midgets in general and like the chili bowl, mm -hmm. 
There are so many young kids. It is unbelievable. If you could pull, you know, the 300 and some that run it, how many of you cannot legally purchase an adult beverage? <laughs> I believe you would end up with about 50%, and it's insane. Yeah. And they're so good, so young. But I think that also attracts the young females to come into and do the same thing. <laughs> I mean, look, Natalie Decker is still running trucks, right? I mean, she might not be winning every week or winning points, but she's still out there. And now you got Haley Deegan's moving up. Yep. Um, it, it's it's slowly and steadily happening. I think it's gonna keep it's gonna keep peaking too. I really do. And I feel like there's more I mean, I don't know. I was a kid 25 years ago going to the races and I don't know the female involvement at that time. So I can't really compare to what it used to be, but I mean, you get a lot. Well, and now with social media, yep, that opens a whole new can of worms. Um, look at this stuff Mandy Pouch is doing. It's not even really social media to a full extent. It's well, she does her vlogs, she which does is her vlogs, social and it's, but she, she gives you the great insight of, Oh, everything of absolutely. how the track does things how like and again she grew up in it so yep. she has a great background of how to explain things to somebody yep and it, she can show you what they're doing on a car and give you the interviews with the drivers which is great too and she's doing it all without strapping into a race car she doesn't wave a flag she doesn't sell you hamburgers or hot dogs she's not she does help on the car at some points i think but it's not. She's not it, a dedicated. Crew it's not member. extensive. Yeah. She pitches in when she feels the need to, but the way she explains it, the she's got this whole, this whole video thing down mm-hmm. fantastically, um, multiple angles and all that stuff, and that could be evolving to flow dirt on dirt, dirt vision, uh, dirt track dry dust TV. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, look what she's doing. We can strap cameras onto cars too. Imagine the view that we can give our people. You know, NASCAR does it. Hey, yeah. here's the bumper cam on this yeah. guy, and you're like, holy, holy shit! But for a dirt uh, audience, that that could spiral in so many different ways and, and be great. So, but yeah, I think I think the female involvement in our sport is definitely on the incline, and it's great. It's great for every aspect of the business. I think. Because you're, you're, you're just, and you're going to, if you need, you just need one decent female driver in a class that other little girls are going to see and they're going to go, oh my God, that's a girl like me. I want to be just like her. Boom. They're five mm-hmm. years old. They'll be seeing you at Phoenixville. Yep. It's, it, it's going to spiral That was kind of how my way. sister was. My sister, when she was racing, she had all the, she was always very helpful and she's actually, she's in school right now. She's a senior for music therapy. Mm. So she's going to help people right and she took that role on in quarter midgets too and all the little girls were looking up to her and wouldn't be like her and then when my sister graduated the roles switched and the girls that were looking up to my sister were now the role models to the younger girls and it just it trickles down yep it's all and it's it's continuing tradition in a sense Mm -hmm. too that you don't want to let it fall off yeah no, I think it's it's a great dynamic for racing, and I hope in the next few years 
we see we see a couple females driving crate modifieds. I mean, we have Jess Friesen driving driving the big the big modified a big block. Um, I hope to see a couple more try it. I do. Well, I the think, micro world's exploding right uh, now, oh, so they're they're going to be moving up yeah, eventually. So. Yeah, the the micro world, the the midget world. There's a lot. I mean, even when you get into like three hundred five spring cars, uh, you see you see more females mm-hmm. there too. And if they stick with it and want to, you know, move up, the potential is absolutely there. So yeah, I I hope it, I hope it keeps going in that direction. So um, just to touch up on a couple other things with with your officiating. So how is it flagging at? these mecca tracks eldora port royal like well let's go to eldora mm-hmm. flag four crown yeah that was awesome you can't tell me you're not getting up in that flag stand <laughs> with a little bit of a jittery oh i was and i and that was actually like it was kind of a fluke that i was even able to get up there so we were out there for my sister racing she was going for a championship out there and you know, they brought the quarter midgets in and like highlighted the kids in USAC, which mm-hmm. was awesome. Like recognizing the kids, they look forward to that so much getting recognized and then be like being around their idols of the big car drivers. Right. A lot of time, like a lot of these big time drivers don't realize how much of an idol they are to these kids. I think you're exactly right. I think, I think some live for it and others are completely blinded by it. Mm-hmm. But for that, we were there and, you know, Warren was talking to Tom and we, I had been flagging with Warren for USAC at that point. So I had already flagged East Coast and Tom was like, hey, do you have your shirt? And I was like, yeah, I mean, I don't have black pants. I only have jeans, but I have my shirt. And he was like, come on up. And I was like, what? He was like, come on up. I was like, oh my God, I get to flag at Eldora. Oh my God. Like, I was like, oh my God. Like, uh. And uh, I'm I'm not one for heights. I do not like heights, which <laughs> is hilarious when you think of flagging because you have to climb up. Um, but, but not all tracks sit up high. Not all track tracks like have that. it. There there are some flag stands that I I love the track. I do not like the stand. Right. Eldora was one of them because the the ladder didn't touch the ground. <laughs> and i mean i was all excited so i didn't think about it when i climbed up but when i climbed down i was like you know the ladder's moving as you're climbing down and you're like oh my gosh like, so it's like uh, it's like a fire escape fire yeah. escape does not touch the ground exactly and i was like oh oh gosh um another this past year for 360 we were at winchester okay if you've never been to Winchester, it is the narrowest ladder I've ever been on. And it was straight up. And it's an old style flag stand, which is way up there. <laughs> I love and, the ones that look like diving boards, too. Yeah. You, you walk forever up, you get up, it's a plank. And I was like, I'm climbing up and I was like, I'm not getting back down. I'm not getting, I, I'm, I'm not getting back down this. And I... <laughs> I remember saying to Nick, Nick Philman, I was like, I know I picked like this role. I am petrified right now. Like I'm not climbing back down until the end. 
And I did not get off the flag stand at all. No? No. Oh, my Lord. I did not. I climbed up, and I stayed there all night. And then I climbed down for to go out after the checkered. And I was like, um, can you just, like, would you be willing to throw my flags down? <laughs> and he dropped my flag, my flag bag down to me, and I was like, thank you. <laughs> I'm like, I... I there are some that are just like like and BAPS. I love BAPS. I love oh, it's their flags. I love it. The stairs are sturdy. You're safe going up. <laughs> and you have you, there's room for and a party. Yes. It's there's so much room. The up same there. with Port Royal. Yeah, exactly. Some some are definitely way better than others. So out of all the these big tracks that you've flagged out, what would be your favorite? My favorite track is Port Royal. So flagging there was like I love flagging there. The come all be all for you. Mm-hmm. Eldora was great. Like you could actually see the entire track from mm-hmm. there, which a lot of for a lot of the big races, if they park inside, which was also really cool. But if they park inside, you can't see over the trailers half the time. No. So like Williams Gro- Williams Grove is really cool too. Yeah. I like I like there. But you can't see three. I can when when I'm flagging there. Mm-hmm. Halfway through three into four, I cannot see. And it is completely solely on the race director in the tower or yep. the track officials down there because it is a blind spot for the flag stand. How was um East uh, yeah, Eastern Orange County for you? Orange County was cool. It was again there was Were they parked in the infield? They were not. So, so they were parked outside. Yes. Oh, so you had you it got, was it was the C nineteen yeah yeah you got lucky it was C nineteen protocol so everybody was parked outside in the parking lot um, they were outside the track yeah it, you should see it up there for eastern states it's it's one of those how many marbles are in this jar kind of thing when you go in the pits yeah and these guys Kenny Tremont shows up with two stackers one for his big block one for a small block and they don't leave all weekend and there are guys that do the same thing and it's stacker after stacker after stacker after stacker and you cannot see the backstretch nope you cannot see turn three well basically when they get to the middle of two you can no longer see the cars until they come off of four okay so I I have one to give you for this then Moody Mile Last year. Oh. <laughs> the last year at Moody Mile. Mm-hmm. Got the flag silver crown. Nice. Who won that day, actually? I don't remember. <laughs> I thought you would have. I think I I, I think I do know who won, but I forget who it was. But anyway, go ahead. You see the cars coming out four. You see the cars going out of one. And then it, you're watching the big screen. You're officiating via the big screen. Because you can't see the backstretch. That you, is very interesting. You can only see one half of, of the track there. Well, yeah. Because I mean, I it guess. was so big and everybody's parked in the infield. You yeah. couldn't see. So literally, I we would watch the cars come out and we would see them leave one and then we'd watch the big screen. And it was solely relying on officials on the backstretch if there was a wreck. Because right. we couldn't see it. Um, even indoor, sometimes the the center tower can block our view of the backstretch. Which has happened where somebody flips or wrecks back there and we don't even see it because we can't see 
through yeah the infield um so i mean we we try to watch everything because we want to I want to protect the drivers. Like I, that's safety is my number one thing. So well, and it, it's different if you're a NASCAR official. They run mile, two mile, three mile tracks, and they're they your their officiating is built around those big tracks. Mm-hmm. There's you would never be able to uh, officiate Sonoma from the flag stand yeah. when half the tracks behind you. Correct. But again, they structure their officiating behind that. We don't. We are, for the most part, usually at a track we can see pretty much the whole thing. But you go up to a mile track, yep. way different. And I wonder, I wonder if it's the same situation out at, you know, is it the Indiana State Fairgrounds? There's a mile there. Mm-hmm. I Terre Haute. Terre Haute, yeah. I've been there. So I mean, is it? I could imagine you got to have some sense of the same thing where it's a mile. So Terre Haute's big, but they're not parking in the infield, so you can so you see still it. have the openness. So, okay. um, take Bedford for example. Okay. Yep. Completely different aesthetic of flagging because you're flagging from the infield. Oh yeah, flagging. So, well, well, for you, from doing the indoor shows, that kind of comes it, into play, right? It comes into play, but it's different because one. You can't see three at all. Like three and four is all trailers. Like because they all park in there, so you can be watching, right? And you can see the cars going down the back stretch, and then it's a blind spot. And I mean, I have I'm lucky enough. I have Matt and Nick up there where right. they can help me, but it's like for me personally, it makes me nervous because I can't see them. Oh yeah, and I. When I have cars on the track, I feel 100% responsible for them. Absolutely agree to that. Absolutely agree to that. So, especially if, if you're if you're the the woman in charge, you're the you're the chief starter. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that's your puppy, that's your baby. You you need to be able to account for all the cars on the track. There are 22 drivers' lives in my hands. Uh, and at some point, you're now relying on other people to have your back and be competent enough yes. to do their job to help you fulfill yours that's and ladies and gentlemen in the world of racing it is a family of officials every night at all the tracks across the country that need to coexist need to work together be everyone else's ears and eyes at all times we don't have instant replay like the nfl does we don't have timeouts when officials we can go huddle over to a tv and play back what we saw and make different calls and all that stuff like that. So yeah, it's, um, that's why a lot of traveling series have their own officials. Correct. Well, and and every series has unique rules too. Mm -hmm. 360 rule. USAC has one. You do a 360. No matter if you keep going, got to throw the yellow. If it doesn't get called, other guys on the track are going to start stopping because they saw it happen, but the yellow lights never come out. So, couple other guys are like, well, no yellow, keep going. And it just throws everything off. It happens with the All-Stars. They have the mm-hmm. same rule. They're 360. You got to go to the rear at the next yellow, whatever and it I was. And I mean, nobody's perfect. No, trust me. No. Nobody is perfect. No. And even a, for me on the stand, like, 
I can see some, or I think I see something and I throw a yellow right. and say somebody saves it. And it's like, damn it. <laughs> like I do it in quarter midgets all the time. Like I am not yellow happy right. is what I say. I'm not yellow happy, but if you see one that you think has to be called, you, you know what? And I'd rather throw one than not throw one and yeah. should have thrown it. Yep. But see, I'll make you feel a lot better about <laughs> your, your yellows, right? I will always be that guy that threw a yellow because it was debris. When I went to get debris, it was a foamy. <laughs> we don't throw foam. We don't throw yellows for foamies. I said, look, I never knew that. I just saw something on the track. Actually, what happened that night, <laughs> we had a camera guy sitting in between three and four. And I, my job, I would catch them coming out of three and I would watch them sweep through four. And <laughs> this photographer is like shuddering is flashing me. And it's dark out. And I'm getting this like yeah. flashing white light <laughs> blinding me. I'm like, what is he doing? So I like ignore him and he's still doing it. And I see him like waving his arm like out to the track. So I'm like, uh, okay, I see something. I threw the yellow. I go over there, I get it. I'll pick it up and I'm like, it's just a foam insert from a tire. (laughs) Well, then I get asked over the radio, what was that? Oh, it's a foamy. We don't throw yellows (laughs) for foamies. I'm like, oh, okay. My bad. My, bad. <laughs> my first my screw up of the night, my screw up of the year. I'll never live this down ever again. So yeah, I get that, that story gets brought up quite often. I but, love indoor when you throw throw yellow and the drivers are like, why'd you throw yellow? Sorry. Like I thought you were spinning. Like, yes. sorry. Yes. <laughs> like I you had every full bore action of spinning and you saved it somehow and God bless you for saving it, because I don't know how the hell you did it, but you saved it, so my bad. Well, it's like, it's my like bad. When, like when they bike, especially a midget or a sprint car, and they bike it, Yeah, we we know 9.9 times out of 10 what's about to happen. There are occasionally, on a rare chance, those ones that somehow pedal eh, that sucker all the way down the front stretch. <laughs> it, it's, yeah. it's quite amazing. Well, um, well, we'll, sit, we'll, we'll I'll reference this one. Logan Seavey when he drove the wall at Lanco. Yes. I didn't see it. I was looking in one and two because that's how I was going. And you just hear the crowd go, oh my God. I'm like, what the hell did I miss? What did I miss? What did I miss? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's like, things like that don't normally happen. No. You, you never, <laughs> never, I haven't seen since, uh, four <laughs> tires of a midget uh, playing Spider-Man around a fence. Uh, I can't, I can't say that I've ever seen that again. Um, so let's transition to just a couple more things here. Um, so pageantry, um, some of you don't know, Nicole did try to run for Miss Motorsports. Uh, how many years in a row did you compete? Four. Four years. And I find that a little fascinating. Most of the contestants that you get up there are either 50-50 girls uh racers girlfriends trophy girls from tracks are usually the contestants but i absolutely admired an official getting up there you know you're used to being seen in one 
in one way at a racetrack with the word official across your back. Most likely you sack on your front radios. You got a job to do your all business. Mm -hmm. What made you decide to do it? To do something for myself. Did you have to talk yourself up to that? Oh, completely. You, <laughs> I'm going to do this. I don't care. I fought being a bikini. I don't care. Or did you really have to like pep talk yourself into this? I really had to pep talk myself into it because I, not many people know, but at one point I was like 210 pounds and I was really? huge. Yes. Oh, I've never known that. So I, the first year that I did motorsports, I had lost a lot of weight and I had, I was feeling great about myself, but it was just something to boost my confidence more because Absolutely. at that point I had zero confidence in myself. Like I, there was, it was not good. Um, and so it was kind of like, everybody was like, oh, you should run, you should run, you should run. And I, I joked with Cassie Pinder cause We've been friends since quarter midgets. And I was like, oh, when you run, I'll run. And she ran the year before I ran. And I was like, there's no fucking way in hell that I'm running. Like, no. Like, I, the way that my body is right now, I do not feel confident. I have zero confidence in myself. I would look like a cow up there. And everybody's like, you're fine. Like, you don't need to be a model to be up there. You love racing. Like, you would be doing it for the right reason. And I was like, I'll just go cheer Cassie on like, like she, I love her. Like she's one of my best friends and she's been doing my hair forever too. So I was like, oh, I'm going to go support her. Like, and she won and she, she had no like idea. Like she didn't think she was going to win and okay. she won and she was like, Oh my God, like I won. And she was like, you have to do this next year. You have to do this next year. And I was like, <laughs> I don't want to, but you know, it was a, it was a huge confidence booster. And then I met some of my best friends throughout the pageant. So it's, so it's not, and I'm not saying it's perceived this way, but I think to some, they look at, oh, this could be like a cutthroat competition thing going on here where, oh, when they're in that room together, it's all <laughs> cat fighting, clawing their way and uh, sabotaging costumes and <laughs> So not it, at all. I, and from what I've learned, and you know, I know quite a few of the past contestants. That it's very much like a sisterhood, is it yes, not? Exactly. And when you're in the back room, so the interview room, you know, you are. I mean, at least for me, I was nervous as all hell because I was like, "What? I don't talk about myself." Like even doing this, it's like uh, I don't know what to like. I don't know what to say about myself, and that's just how I've always been. Like I know what I can do, but right. I don't. I don't brag about anything. I'm just not that way. Right. And so, when you're in that interview, you have to talk about yourself, mm -hmm. and that's scary mm -hmm. for a lot of people. So, like being in that room you're all sitting there together and i mean i don't know how it's going to be for 2022 we'll see how c19 is going but like the chairs are all right next to each other in a circle around the room right so you're we're all sitting back there talking to each other getting to know each other mm -hmm. help pepping each other up like you got this yeah like you look great go woo! like and you walk out of the room and everybody claps for you like it's a great environment back there with, 
women building up women. Like it, it's so confident boosting is the easiest way to say it. Like you have all these people that are cheering for you. And yeah, when you're on stage, like a lot of people get heartbroken and stuff. Cause I mean, I'm competitive. Right. So it's like, okay, I did really, really well. And then you don't place. And it's like, well, damn it. <laughs> like, okay. But, but ironically, you know. didn't you win this interview? I won. You won best interview. Interview my last year, and the year before that, I got Miss Congeniality. See, and and you get best interview when you get nervous doing interviews because you don't know how to talk about yourself. Mm -hmm. Yet apparently, you do it really well. Apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Honestly, the best the best thing that came out of it was Miss Congeniality because that's voted by the girls. Oh, okay. So whoever wins Miss Congeniality is the one award that is voted by the females in that room. So you had to have done something to help them. Right. In some way. Right. For them to vote for you to be Miss Congeniality. So that was a really special award for me because. That, that is really cool. It, it was a pure thing. Exactly. It's, it's your rivals at that moment. Um, you know, giving you a vote of vote of confidence is pretty cool. Um, so the um the last thing I really wanted to talk about today is, you know, I'm in an officiating position. You are as well, obviously. And there's a lot of bad stigma around officials who cannot be friends with race car drivers and also be fair officials or in your case you be in a relationship with um a race car driver and then officiate fairly when he's on the track mm-hmm. so i'm on your side i absolutely know it can be done and you will i think we're always going to have people Throwing shade. No, it can't. Oh, I see. Yeah. Oh, you're dating him. (laughs) Now I understand why he won a race tonight. When it had absolutely nothing to do with that. Exactly. Um, You know, I think what people don't understand sometimes is, you know, you may be the the head official. That does not mean that you also do the pill draw, that you set lineups, that you um, make the scales lighter for that person (laughs) or uh that you do tech to um not everything's done by one person Mm -hmm. and i think what people don't understand also is i think there is those different areas of officiating in place to also kind of make each other accountable if there was a mistake made you know what i mean exactly so i don't think there can really be a whole lot of uh cheating going on if we're going to call it that without someone else recognizing it or noticing it way before it would ever get public yes so uh, what i just want to ask you is more along these terms so when steven wins a usac 360 race you're flagging it you throw the checkered for your boyfriend at any point are you thinking oh, crap, here come the haters again, or, oh, I'm going to have to deal with people 
saying stuff about me because all oh, Stephen won again, so I obviously must have did something to help him or any of those kinds of things. Do you ever deal with that? Not to my face, but I always have the thought in the back of my head just because, you know, people joke about it. Right. I've had people joke about it. And I mean, back in the day, my sister raced and I flagged for her. So even in the regional races for the kids, which was like a national race for them, um, points wise. Right. You know, people would say stuff, but it's like, I am not doing any, when, when you're on the track, I don't care who you are. Like if you're, I'm following the leader, no matter who it is, because that's who I'm focused on because I need to know where they are to give the correct flag at any time. So if it's Steven, then it's Steven. If it's Hannah, then it's Hannah. Mm -hmm. If it's Chris Allen, it's Chris Allen, you know? Right. Somebody, I remember back in the day, people were like, oh, where, where did Hannah finish? I'm like, did she win? They're like, no. I'm like, then I have no idea. Because you were watching. Because I was watching the leader and mm -hmm. broadly everybody. So if Steven, say Steven doesn't win, <clears throat> I don't know where he finished. I I have to ask him. I'm like, oh, so where did, where did you end up tonight? Like, yeah, I have no idea. So it's. I'm watching everybody, and when you're out on that track, I'm focused on all of you. I'm not just focused on Steven or Chris or Kenny. Like, I'm focused on all of you. The only time I'm focused on who is leading is when you're leading because I need to know where you're, you're at. Right. Like, I don't care who you are. Right. Right. So it could be anybody. It could be anybody. And you're just as important to me as Steven is. So it's... Do you, do you get the comments off the flag stand? Um, you know, we all buy racing shirts. These are our, and that's one thing I've learned too. These are all our friends. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is when her, when my, my wife and I actually do have our wedding reception, some race car drivers are going to be invited in no way, shape or form. Does that mean that the ones that did not get invited are ones that I dislike in any way, shape, or form, or that I cater to the ones that are invited. It's people have to understand this is our our this isn't our livelihood, obviously. We do it recreationally more for fun and mm -hmm. thrill and anything else, but we get a lot of friends through this and you can't not do that. Yep. Yeah. A referee and in in, in the NBA Becoming really good friends with, you know, like a LeBron James. I think that looks way more suspicious. Because we're talking about people that live two completely different lives. Yeah. But you know what? When I take my official shirt off the night, and uh, let's just use a guy like uh, uh, Jeff Strunk <laughs> takes his suit off at the end of the night. We're, we're just two average guys. Like, mm -hmm. that's... We're, we're going to talk about the same crap that me and the next race car driver are going to talk about. We're going to talk about exactly the same crap. Yep. It's not like, it's not like there's any kind of collusion going on. I mean, and if there were on a, on a serious basis anywhere, if there really was, everybody would know it because for one, there are a lot of keyboard warriors out there that are going to remind you on the internet all day long. And they'll also notice it when the racers stop going to that track because something's going on. 
you'll also notice it if the stands start aren't, aren't as full as they used to be because yep. something funky's going on. Yep. If anyone out there seriously thinks any type of collusions going on or or some kind of conspiracy theory, if you even want to call it that, you're most likely wrong. I mean, yeah, look, I sit in the crowd on a Saturday night and I see a call made on the track and I'm like, I don't think that was the right call, but not my show. Yeah. At no point am I saying, oh, did you see that? That call helped that guy. I guess he's working with that official. It sounds dumb. Yeah, it it's not how it's happening because when when the cars are on the track, there's so much going on. Right. You can't just pinpoint one person. Like it, it's it's not going to be like, oh, if I throw the yellow now, then so and so is going to be able to advance a spot because somebody else is going to do this and this. No, you you don't exactly. have time to even think about that. You're you're, you're thinking right. like. Okay, here comes the field. Okay. Oh shit, somebody spun. Oh shit, 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 shit. Yell, 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 yell. Like, there's no time to even remotely think about how to strategically screw somebody. And you know what's funny? And you say, and you use that example. I've actually seen a USAC 360 race where you actually probably screwed Steven out of <laughs> out of the lead more than anything else because he had taken the lead in turn three. The yellow got thrown before he got to the flag stands. The previous lap did not count. He had to go back to the second or third or whatever it was. And I'm like, eh, I bet you that no one noticed that. <laughs> <clears throat> no one noticed that. Because, I mean, that would have been a great story. Oh, my God. Nicole just screwed her boyfriend out of the lead. I wonder if they're breaking up. I think that would have been a better story. <laughs> but it, it's good to... I think we as officials don't like talking about it because it. I think it's something we hear all the time. We hear it from everybody. Everybody. Yeah. People that don't even go to the track, we hear from about it. And I think it's something that needed to be put out there. Look, on this, these series of shows I'm going to do in these podcasts, I'm going to be interviewing a lot of different people from different areas of the racing world. And some of them are going to be drivers. Some of them are going to be drivers I uh, personally don't even know or what they don't run at my at my track. But there's going to be some that do run at my track who I've known for years mm-hmm. who I will wish happy birthday and Merry Christmas to. But in no way, shape or form does that mean that there's, you know, a wink, wink, nudge, nudge kind of thing yeah. going on. And 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 I I will always quote, you know, people saying to me on big race day, you know, well, make sure, you know, I get a good pill draw. Uh, look. <laughs> You're going to put your hand in the same bag as everyone else, and there are 75 poker chips in there. Your guess is as good as mine what you're going to pull out. Well, if you've ever watched Steven pull his pill, he's awful at pulling. So they, <laughs> there, there's no favoritism there when he pulls with Tammy. There, but. There's, again, if, if you're trying to persuade anybody into believing that there's something fishy going on, then start doing stuff that is fishy. But if you're going about your business and you're doing your job the way you're supposed to in the same way you do it every week, all, to all you officials out there, you got nothing to worry about. Yeah. You really don't. Like, if you know me, I wear Steven's shirt under my official shirt. But that's because when I don't have my official shirt on, I am in a completely different role than when I'm in my official shirt. Like, when we're 
if I have my official shirt on, we usually don't really talk. Like mm -hmm. we don't even talk to each other other than a good luck in the, right. in the pits. If I happen to see him. Right. But there, there's a completely different role. When I take my official uniform off, I become girlfriend again. Mm -hmm. So it's a complete, I am able to turn that off. And I did it with my sister when she was racing. Like, I was able to turn it off. I didn't know where she was unless she was hap just happened to be leading. Like that was right. the only way I knew where she was. See, I won't. E I won't even risk it on a Friday night. I I wear nothing affiliating to any other driver. I won't even wear uh, like a Billy Schinkel shirt who used to run up there. Well, I tried to get ago. other drivers' shirts, but they all sold out. <clears throat> Chris <Yeah>. Allen. <laughs> <laughs> like I'll I'll wear their shirts and support them. But when he was there, I'm supporting him off the track that's that's way different no that's that's way different but like when i'm working and i even ask my my employees too i say keep your racing shirts at home mm -hmm. even if it's a sprint car driver because i feel like there's always a connection somehow that someone's gonna come up with a story about how that relates to something that happened here and it had absolutely nothing to do with it, but they'll they'll make it work, and it just it don't look right, and it's just one less thing you got to worry about too. But no, it's um, well, well, I think we'll always have it, but just for uh, it's good to get the the conversation piece in the air and actually talked about because I think a lot of us are kind of hush hush about it because we don't we know it's gonna fire us up. And most likely it's going to piss us off. Because it's annoying because it's not true. It's oh, just it's, another it's rumor that goes around. Constantly. Constantly. I hear it from at least one person every Friday. And it is about something I am no way even in control of doing. Like, oh, your track sucked tonight. Why is that? Because it rained like 10 hours today and then the sun came out. And my then... answer to that is... <laughs> Why don't you get in touch with the person who did the track? They would be able to better answer your question. I have nothing to do with that. <laughs> or, hey, why are your pizza... Why pizza run out? <laughs> you're, you're asking the wrong guy. Like, yeah. I wish I could create a directory. But, like, hold, please. Oh, you need to dial extension 323. <laughs> like, go there. Yeah, I mean... <sighs> direct it to somewhere else that's not me so but um did you um before we let you go here any um is there any topics on your mind you wanted to to bring up or anybody you want to thank or maybe promote something um, well i mean racing's getting ready to start again so i'm excited about that kind of bummed that the indoor races were canceled for this year thanks to c19 but uh Next year, it'll be bigger and better. Um, I'm looking forward to being at Bloomsburg Fair. Oh, yeah. I, I'm looking forward to going there. Um, having the, the old track with Levi helping out to bring it up to its glory again. It, it's That's going to be fun. Um, for a track that actually has not officially opened yet and the schedule they have is very intriguing. And I think... You got modified, you got USAC, you got super late models, and you got wing sprint cars. You're going to bring in a very diverse mm -hmm. uh, group of people to come and watch up there. And 
I will never say that I want a track to fail because that means that racing's failing. And for all intents and purposes of that, I hope they are successful. Completely. So Make, racetracks making money is making racing making money, which means that other tracks can survive for another day or another week or another and month. And then we get year. to go enjoy what we like to do. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with having options on a, a weeknight or a Saturday or a Friday or whatever have you. So, yeah, I hope that's going to be awesome. You know, don't want to see any track fail. So I wish them the best of luck. But, um, yeah, it's been great having you on the show. You can um, now say you were the first interview. I'm very honored. Probably the <laughs> only interview in my home, which was kind of nice. Um, didn't want to take this over the telephone or over Zoom. We said, no, we'll do it in person. So just gave you a little different dynamic. But um, thank you for being on the 4 Wide podcast. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back on sometime down the road. I look forward to it. All right. Good luck in 2021. Thank you.